pterodactyl thrill and inspiring your trumpet journey, here's your host, James Newcomb. Hello, everybody. This is James Newcomb coming into your earballs, and you're listening to the Trumpet Dynamics podcast, telling the story of the trumpet and the words of those who play it. And today we are privileged to have on the show Dr. Javian Brabham. Dr. Brabham is the professor of trumpet at the University of Valdosta there in Georgia. He also plays with the Augusta Symphony Orchestra. Well, any orchestra that's in uh, South Georgia, uh, Eastern Alabama, uh, Javian has probably been there. So he's a uh, Knows the scene there, and the scene knows him, and now here he is on the show. So welcome, sir. It's good to have you. Thank you for having me. I'm happy and honored to be here today. The The pleasure and the honor is mine. Now, I have to say that I don't often hear much about what's going on with the arts scene down in southeastern Georgia, or southwestern uh, Georgia, I should say. So uh, what, what, does it, what does life look like down there? Yeah, uh, so I, I'm located in Valdosta, which is... Um, it's basically the last town before you get into Florida. So, you know, um, so that pretty much takes up like Valdosta or Lowndes County. And, and I also play in Albany, which is, um, Northwest of, of, uh, Valdosta. Um, but the art scene for a small town is actually pretty thriving. We have a, a symphony orchestra here that play in Valdosta symphony orchestra. That's really supported by the community here in Valdosta. Um, there's a lot of um, museums, art museums in, in Valdosta. It's kind of like a, a little bit of a hidden gem in some regard. Hmm. Um, and then, you know, if you not if you don't go too far, like like I was saying earlier, playing in, in the Albany Symphony, it's another like similar community to Valdosta uh, where they have, you know, an orchestra and museums, a lot of cultural things going on in both towns. So you know, it's it's a lot of people don't know about it because typically, you know, I-75, the, the major highway passes through Valdosta. So a lot of time people don't get time or a chance to actually spend time in Valdosta, which mm-hmm. is a, a really nice uh, community here that's, you know, everyone's really supportive and it's kind of a little thriving town, I would say. That's cool to hear that uh, the arts are you know, doing well in small towns like that, because oftentimes yeah. the big cities, Chicago and New York and L.A., we just think that, well, that's where the only culture is and everything else is just Hickville, USA. Exactly. But it turns out that and I was just I was talking with uh, David Hickman, who was on the show a couple of weeks ago, nice. and he was uh, back in the day. He was he made a name for himself in Wichita, Kansas, of all places. Mm-hmm. You, you don't you yeah. don't associate Wichita with with arts, but people like classical music in Kansas, believe it or not. Exactly. And I'm from a small rural town in South Carolina. Uh-huh. So I understand being in a, in, in a small town where there's not a whole lot of cultural things going on. So to be in Valdosta, another you know small town uh, or large town, if you want to look at it that way, is it was really cool because this is my third year at Valdosta State. And um, coming here, I, I didn't know what to expect. Now that I've been here for for a while now, even through the the COVID pandemic, you see like this rich cultural history and and everything that's going on. Um, There's a lot of really cool little um, 
uh, restaurants that, you know, have a lot of live music as well. So there's a lot of stuff going on. Now, how did you get started on trumpet? Probably like most people. Um, so I guess for me, I come from a, a strong, rich musical family. Um, my grandfather, my, my dad's dad was a musician, played in the church. And then my dad played in the church. They, they both played guitar. Um, and his brother played piano. So I grew up in this rich, like, uh, mus- musical family, especially within, like, the gospel genre. Um, and then my, my dad had a studio in our backyard. He built this whole facility, and he would bring artists to come record in, in our studio. So I can just remember at a very young age hearing people just come through um, either rehearsing in the studio or just actually recording, just hear like this loud thumping in the background, just constantly like weekly. And then, so that kind of, he passed that on to me and my, my older brother, my, my older brother's a musician. He's a music producer. He works in the Atlanta area and works with a lot of artists in Atlanta. Um, so my brother, you know, when he became whatever the age is for sixth grade, he, he joined the, the um, middle school band. Mm-hmm. Um, and he went through that entire process and my parents being very involved in the school, they were the band boosters. So I grew up literally just always in the band room, always around the high school kids, middle school kids. So when it became my turn, um, when I got sixth grade, it was just natural that I be in the band. Now, deciding to play trumpet, no one in my family plays a brass instrument. My brother plays saxophone and then he later kind of switched to percussion and, and keyboard. So for me, I, I I remember going to the marching band competitions to watch my brother in the band. And I was like, man, all the trumpet players have all the solos in, in the <laughs> show. So I was like, I want to do that. And I was like, I think it will be easy because there's only like three buttons. There, you only press these three things. So it has to be easy. <laughs> Obviously, I know better now. <laughs> It's actually hard because there's only three. But uh, that was kind of like my mindset when I was going into like joining beginner band in sixth grade. I, I want to play solos and I want to do like the least amount of work to get there. Um, so I, I joined the band and I went through that whole process. And, you know, I, 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 I was self-taught. Like I said earlier, I'm from a small town. So there weren't any teachers in our area. So everything was like, I had to figure it out on my own. So I didn't know what I didn't know. And this is, again, this is before like YouTube and all these different streaming services that we have now. So you really was in the blind back then, um, especially if you didn't have a, a teacher to kind of guide you. And my band director wasn't a trumpet player. He, he plays saxophone. So he knew things, but, you know, when you get to a certain point, you know, you're kind of left to your own devices to kind of figure it out. Um, So, you know, my first, I really, my first three years in band was kind of like me figuring it out. And um, then I realized, you know, around my freshman year of high school, it's like my embouchure is all wrong. I was having some success still because I was like really determined to get better. But then I was like, I have to redo my entire armchair. It was really jacked up. <laughs> I don't even know how I was even playing on it at that point. So I, I did this major, really drastic um, armchair change um, before my sophomore year of high school. Again, blind. I didn't have a teacher, so I was really okay, so. You, so you didn't like ha- you didn't like have a lesson and say a, a teacher say, okay, you need to change your armchair. You just kind of instinctively knew something's not right. I need to change something. 
Yes, I, I did have every once in a while I might uh when I would play at like clinics or do auditions or you know these like band festival things and I could see it in the mirror because my setup wasn't like what I saw other people you know my colleagues or you know things like mm-hmm. that their mm-hmm. set my setup was drastically different mm-hmm. and I was having success but like it just wasn't consistent I was kind of hitting a wall basically yeah. right and then I I did talk to my bander at by this time I had a different bander who came in when I was after my second year of playing, um, and he kind of really changed the culture of our program. He was like, well, you know, I think this is going to be an issue and you can decide to change it if you want to. Um, but he didn't really have any tools or guidance to do that. Um, so okay. I, I actually, the summer before I started my uh, sophomore year, I went to the summer festival at the uh, South Carolina Governor's School, uh, which is in Greenville, South Carolina. Um, and I was there for a week and I got my very first lesson or, well, it was, I guess, technically an audition lesson. And the guy who was listening to me audition, he's like, you're, he was a brass player. He like knew his stuff. He's like, okay. you're going to have to change this. Uh, okay. Even though I was kind of already planning to do it, but he kind of like made it. It's like, yeah, this definitely needs to happen. He didn't give me like any guidance um, because it was just like a 15, 20 minute audition. So I was like, all right, I'm going to change this. So I spent like the rest, the end of my my freshman year in high school changing it in that summer um, after we were finished with like the marching band and the concert band stuff. Um, So I just spent that just relearning a a completely different armature. And I ended up getting accepted to go to the summer festival um, for like a week academy program and i actually got my first lesson with uh dr gary malvern who's the trumpet still the trumpet professor at Furman university in greenville by that time believe it or not and it might have been like three or four months since that audition i was able to get my armature in a way where i was actually having consistent success and the guy who did my audition saw me play he said you did you did that in like four months that's like remarkable that you're able to be here and, and play. I mean, my, my range wasn't where I wanted it to be yet, but like I was making like the characteristic sound and getting things to happen consistently, which is kind of what I wanted. And then I got my first lesson with Gary Malvern um, for the entire week. And that was kind of like, this is what you should be working on on a daily basis. This is how you schedule practice. This is fundamentals. These are all the tools that you need to become a better trumpet play. And that kind of really opened up my eyes. And I remember going back to my hometown after that, just like a completely different person or a completely mm. different player. Um, even though it was like only a, a week of work, but it was like a very, very drastic moment in my my playing time. So I actually, you know, after my sophomore year, you know, of me really solidifying things. And I, uh, I actually, you know, was having success. I made Allstate for the first time. I I was, you know, I actually marched Carolina Crown that summer. So I, I was able to do a lot of things after making that drastic change. So I decided to actually go back to the government school and be a, a student there year round because it's a it's a two-year residency uh, high school program where you live on campus and you, you know, you you're a full-time student, kind of like a pre-college situation. So I went there for my last two years of high school, and that was like kind of really where the story truly began in terms of like figuring out um, and, and being around other great 
musicians and having full-time teachers dedicated to your instrument, et cetera. And, and then from there, I went on to, you know, college at Florida State University, um, where I studied with uh, Dr. Christopher Moore. Um, I, and I was a music ed major because I still love teaching. I love playing. And I wanted to go somewhere where I can do both of those things and, and, and have a really great teacher and have a lot of opportunities at a really strong program. You know, if I'm talking too much, just, you know, talk. <laughs> you can stop me at any point. Uh, and then, you know, I went on to University of New Mexico for my master's and I studied with uh, Jeff Piper and, and Dr. John Marciano, um, who's still there today. Um, and, and that was great because it was a completely different part of the country. It was kind of a culture shock for me. Some guy who grew up in the South and spent his entire life basically living in the South and to go out to the Southwest was like, whoa, a, a, a new experience. But that was the first time I got to actually play with some like truly like professional orchestras um, and, and setting with Jeff Piper and, and John Marchion was great because, you know, it was really their approach is very different from what I studied with in um, with Christopher Moore in terms of like the ease and, 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 and solidifying the sound concepts and all those things. And of course, being around uh, great colleagues and, and, and other students while I was at the school. And then after that, I went on, I was like, I want to go and, and, you know, teach college. That was kind of like my path or my dream um that I laid out for myself and so I, I I decided to go and pursue a DMA and and this is kind of like where I was in school I I, I won the quote-unquote the audition for ensembles and all these things and um my first semester I guess yeah my first semester I I found myself um playing in a bunch of ensembles so I was playing in a, a brass ensemble I was playing you know principal in the brass ensemble, principal in the wind orchestra. I was playing, you know, first in the trumpet ensemble. I was, I was playing just so many hours in the day. And I kind of hit a wall about halfway through the semester. For the first time since I've been playing, or at least since that um, embouchure change, couldn't do what I knew I was capable of. I, I physically could not play. I couldn't like um, just play what was in front of me. And that caused all sorts of anxiety and you, you feel like a failure. This is during your doctoral program? Yeah, this is my first semester at my doctorate um, degree. Yeah, so you feel that pressure as well. And you, you feel like it's your first semester in, and even though it's, it's kind of unfair to put this pressure on yourself, you feel the need to kind of like I guess in some way, like prove that you deserve to be here in some regards. I didn't know what was going on. I just thought, you know, it's, I just wasn't in some regard good enough to like be in the position that I was. Okay. And then later I realized that wasn't it at all. The issue was I'm overplaying. I'm sacrificing health, healthy practice time <clears throat> so I can be somewhat fresh in these rehearsals throughout the week. And then I realized, oh, I have like this mouth injury causing me to have these these issues, which is kind of huh. like inspired me to get more into like uh, musicians' health and, and, and musicians' wellness. So that's kind of like the catalyst for, for all these things and kind of how it changed my thinking and my approach to a lot of things since then. 
Because once you once you go through something like that, in my situation, it's only a mild case. I, I have friends, I, I, I know colleagues who have gone through way worse situations. Mm. And there's so many like horrors, horror stories out there about this, about injuries. Um, but in, in my situation, I was like, you know, I would have days where I said, all right, I have six hours rehearsal today. Should I practice right now? <laughs> when I have to play principal and all these like big pieces. So I, I would have the conversation with myself all the time. I would do a warm up in the morning and that would be it on most days. Mm. And it shouldn't be like that, but that's kind of where I was. It's like, I have to get through these rehearsals because it's my job, even though it's not really a job because you're a student, you're learning. This is worth unpacking because I, I wonder if we could trace this issue that you encountered in your doctoral program and talk about things going wrong at the worst possible time. You're there. <laughs> you just arrived and, and you're like kind of the big fish in the little pond of, of uh, the university setting there. All these freshmen that are just arrived, you think that they're looking up to you, although they're probably making fun of you behind your back, but that's the way it is. You know how it is. But uh, I, was, I was wondering... Because I was, I thought it was interesting how you talked about you had this embouchure change, and I just got the impression that you did a lot. There was a lot of guesswork on your part. I mean, you had a, a bit of coaching. You had uh, a, a band director who said, "Go for it if you feel like you do it," but he didn't know what to. He didn't know how to teach you how to do it. And you had another teacher that said he he gave you some like legit guidance, but. There's only so much you can go with that. And it's interesting because I've heard stories like this before. And I think that musicians, trumpet players especially, don't view themselves as athletes. If we were to say, yes, we, we, this is a very physical thing we're doing. This, there is a lot of wear and tear on our lips. And if we're not conscious of that, we're, we're setting ourselves up for failure. And if you have an athlete like if you let's say it's a, a a runner in college, for example, and and they they're doing something wrong and they need to change their form. They're not just going to guess how to change their form. They're going to have a coach with them every single day, tweaking every little thing, and it's <clears throat> and it's going to be under the watchful care of a trained coach. And trumpet players just don't do that. Mm -hmm. They do so much guesswork, and I don't know how many times. And I, this is no disrespect at all to you at all. Because I've heard this story so many times, especially in the last couple of months doing all these interviews. Very similar. They, they go to the doctoral uh, program and, and they hit a wall. Some people, uh, they get to the point where they, they can't play at all. Like they mm -hmm. had to give it up. And it, it, it just makes me wonder how much of that could be avoided if they had a little bit of guidance, sought a little bit of instruction. I'm sure that people could make a career out of just coaching embouchure changes. That could be a legit career path for someone. I completely agree with you because I, I also use the the sports analogy all the time when talking about um, injury prevention. And, uh, and that, you know, I talk about like, you know, if, if you're a professional football player, no professional football player leaves the football game, hops in the car and goes home. <laughs> There's a process that they go through after their every practice after every game where, you know, they leave the field, they get massaged, they get in the ice tub, they do mm -hmm. all these things to prepare their bodies for mm -hmm. the next day. 
And then when they get back to the facility the next day, they go through this entire process to prepare their bodies for the grind that they're going to go through. And that's like, we need to look through, look through those same lens for what we're doing. We're doing a very physical thing with very, very small muscles, right? So we have to kind of think about it in that regards. Um, But yeah, in there, one thing I I do find promising is like, there is kind of like this growing field of uh, musicians all across the country who are starting to kind of um, take this field in terms of like rebuilding um, injured musicians, or there's a lot of um, organizations out there that do a lot of um, like wellness coaching or like uh, there's one that I know um, like yoga for musicians, for instance, and they, they work with musicians and, and how they use their bodies. And there's tons of like body mapping um, organizations out there. So there is, it's kind of a, a growing field within the overall music umbrella or musicians umbrella. Um, which I do find promising because I think we're now actually seeing all these these injuries pile up and people are asking, like, why is this happening? And which is, you know, the question that we have to ask ourselves. And I think people are now slowly starting to change their approach because um, I have a, a, a really good friend. because I, I also have a, a podcast that I do um, for well, it's just for musicians and my co-host who's a uh he just won a job last year in the air force band trumpet player um he's going through uh injury um after he got his job he was trying to get back in shape after being basic training for six months and he ended up pulling a muscle in his upper lip so you can imagine a person who just got their job already moved and they experienced it so he's been like really starting from zero all the way over but he he's working with um uh, a coach uh jan who's out of new jersey who's worked with tons of just musicians all across in like top name musicians who you wouldn't think of like right, right. major orchestra sure. positions and she's become one of like the gurus in this field of like rebuilding uh, musicians who have experienced injury, muscle tears, or dystonia, or et cetera, et cetera. What's this gal's name again? Uh, Jane. I cannot remember her last name right now. Uh, she's. I believe she plays in Rucker uh, in in New Jersey Symphony. Okay. She's stationed in, in New Jersey. Um, ah, I can't remember her last name right now. I'll, I'll look her. I'll I'll find her. Yeah, first name is Jane though. Okay. Uh, and there's Jane some, in New some, Jersey. Got it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I can look at it. I have it written down somewhere, and that's fine. I'll find it. Um, yeah, but he he's been my my friend has been telling me about um, the process that he's been going through with her and the, the, her and her her team. She has a whole team. That's how much her field has grown. That she actually has to have a whole team now. Um, so I think that's that's been fascinating. He's been, you know, it's frustrating as you would imagine anyone having to start over especially after you and your job and it's kind of very similar to my situations like i just got to my doctoral program i'm going through this major thing and i have to figure it out and so granted this is a different level because he has a job (laughs) so that's and you know a family and all those things so the responsibilities are drastically different but you know i can understand like that pressure um but yeah, it's definitely, you know, as musicians, as trumpet players, I think 
it's something that we all need to be aware of. And, you know, one thing I try with my students is to avoid, you know, overusing them in ensembles because I think one of the unfortunate things about the university setting is like we ask students to play in like five ensembles, four or five ensembles. And it's like, well, when are they going to practice? <laughs> do, they, <laughs> you know? do, they, do they ask them to do that? Or do the students just say, I'm going to do this because I'm invincible because I'm 19 and I'll never break down. <laughs> I think it's both. I yeah. think it's okay. they, you know, high school, you know, kids who are coming to college, they're used to playing and, you know, all the stuff in their high school bands. I, you know, I was the same way. Um, so like, that's kind of like the expectation. But I think the transition from high school to, to college is like you're going to be playing a lot more, you know, versus when you're in high school. Um, so to counteract all that, that playing, you need to balance it with like healthy playing, healthy practice, um, as we, we all know. Healthy living. Um, but yeah. And for, you know, for some schools, like if you're a small college and you have a small music department, then you're going to have a handful of kids, you know, doing the vast majority of the playing, you know, with trying to cover all the ensembles. And I mean, I guess that can happen at larger universities and colleges as well. Um, I remember when I was undergrad, I played in probably like four or five ensembles, not even thinking about, oh, what this long-term effect could be on my playing. Clearly, I didn't know this even as a doctoral student, you know? And, and to me, like injury and injury prevention was never talked about. I'd never heard about a musician getting injured. Um, the first time I heard of a truly like a well-known musician getting like injured to where they had to stop was probably Phil Smith when he um, retired from the New York Phil. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and it never really clicked like, oh, why is that? Why did that happen? Um, and you know, he had been playing 30 plus years in New York Phil. Um, but you, you don't really think about that. And especially as a, a young person, you do think you're invincible. And, uh, but I, I never had a conversation with any musician, whether it's teacher or uh, a colleague about injury. And like, it, if that was possible, I didn't even know it was a possibility. Um, but it really very much so is, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it, kind of like the, a dirty secret in our field. Like no one wants to talk about it, <laughs> even though yeah. a lot of musicians. It I I, <laughs> yeah, I think it needs to be discussed a lot more because look at how the NCAA deals with injuries to football players, basketball players. I mean, they, they take it very seriously. Yeah, yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, maybe maybe musicians, music departments need to up their game when it yeah, comes to awareness about musician, or, uh, injuries. Yeah, and I do think that is happening more. You're seeing kind of like this push among a lot of music programs across the country in like music wellness, not just on the physical, but the also the the mental aspect of what we do. Because um, I think most people understand the mental part of being a musician, like the pressure and all the anxiety that happens. Um, but you know, the 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 physical can then affect the mental. Because I know, like when I was started my my doctor, when I was going through that experience, that entire year of school, I was in probably the darkest place I ever been. You know, it was the first time where I was like, when I thought, it's like, I don't think this is this is for me. I contemplated like quitting altogether in that one year. That's how low and dark things got for me. And I was 
very unhappy. And then that affected other aspects of your life because you see yourself as I'm a trumpet player. That's it. Mm-hmm. So when you take that away from somebody and then they're faced with all these other realities of life, it's like, well, who am I if I don't have this thing, this trumpet, you know? Mm-hmm. So it was a, a very dark time um, to go through all that. And, you know, I'm very, very fortunate to kind of come out on the other end. Yes. And when your identity is wrapped up with a 12 foot long piece of tubing that's wrapped up with some valves attached to it and a mouthpiece that's completely unnatural for the human lips to touch. It, it's uh, problematic. And when it, you're, it, it can yeah. be, uh, it can be devastating when you're 25, 26 years old and that's all you've ever known. That's how people know you. And all of a sudden you can't play at the level that you're accustomed to playing. And I can imagine, and I appreciate you sharing this. You're very transparent. And uh, I hope that I, I, I hope I know that you do it in the spirit of, People listening in will hopefully uh, take away something that will hopefully avoid someone uh, encountering it in the future. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, 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 I try to always be transparent because I, I think it needs to be talked about more. Um, certainly, um, you know, because I guess trumpet players, there's this stereotype of being very egotistical or anything like this. But, you know, I and I think because of that, maybe we are more prone to injury because we have that or maybe that's because of a stereotype. Maybe we don't see uh, injury as like a sign of weakness. So maybe that's why it's not talked about much. But I think, you know, and, and, and to go back to this idea of like seeing ourselves as a trumpet player through that lens you know, in the, in the podcast that I, I have, you know, every way, time what's, I have a, what's the name of your podcast? Oh, uh, the name of a uh, podcast is Coffee and Clark's. Uh, me oh, and my, okay. my, my buddy, uh, Tyler Duncan, who's the co-host. Um, the idea behind it is we're, we're both coffee heads, obviously. Okay. And um, so we talk about coffee and then we talk about, you know, trumpet stuff or whatever. And we have different guests on and. You know, one of the, the themes, because we didn't want it to be just like a trumpet podcast. We want to talk m- more broadly about things, things like this, injuries. Sure. We want to talk about like mental health. And one thing, one question we ask every guest is like, how do you manage life outside of trumpet? Like what, what, how do you see yourself outside of just being a trumpet player? Because right. a lot of them are like professors or they play an orchestra. It's like. And we always get interesting answers. It's, it's, it's a lot of times it's like, you know, I'm still figuring that out. And yeah. I, I find that fascinating because a, a lot of guests we've had have had very long careers and very uh-huh. established careers. So to hear them say, like, you know, I'm still figuring that out, you know, it's an ongoing process, which is absolutely true. But uh-huh. I always find that very interesting. Um, and I think that that's, that's kind of part of like why we have that podcast or why we at least like having that discussion. It's like, we want to see ourselves, um, outside of just being a trumpet player. We want to have other interests. Obviously we, we don't want our entire lives to get wrapped around, as you said, this, this piece of metal in front of our faces. Cause I think that helps with the balance in our lives yeah. as trumpet players, which will help us play trumpet better. I think personally, um, I, I have I have an I have a slogan for 
uh, trumpet players who have podcasts, and it's my podcast is better than yours. What do you think? <laughs> that is funny. I, I <laughs> well, I've heard I've heard several of your episodes, so oh, I, I, we're 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 not we're not there yet. <laughs> oh, you're the you're, you're the one listening. Okay, great. Nice oh yeah, it's definitely me. <laughs> now I want to know since since we're on the topic, we seem to have gravitated towards injuries and recovering and injury prevention. So tell me a little bit about how you got out of this physical and mental and emotional, spiritual, uh, dark place that you were in. What was the process of uh, so, recovering? Yeah. So as I said, I was in a very dark place. So um, at the end of that school year, I decided to not return to this, into this, uh, this school that I was attending um, it, it was just some things like, if I'm going to do this, I kind of need a fresh start. I need a different environment. Okay. I need to work <laughs> with someone that I know that I, I have a previous, um, relationship with. So my, my former teacher from undergrad, um, Christopher Moore at Florida state reached out to me while well, I had been in contact with him as things were progressing as I was having my issues, um, so he kind of knew what I was going through. And um, at the end of the school year, uh, <laughs> we were at a, a ITG conference and we, we literally ran into each other in a, in a hotel lobby because he wasn't even supposed to be there. He came in to fill in for someone. And I was walking out because I did a presentation and he was walking in and he's like, so I, I got your text. So like, tell me what's happening. Like, what's going on? So I told him and he's like, well, you know, would you be interested in coming back to Florida State? I have an opening as of yesterday because one of his students had just won a job. So he had this last minute opening. So I'm like, absolutely. Um, so I, I went um, down to Florida State to where I kind of I feel like it's kind of like my second home. Uh, and I worked with um, uh, more Chris Moore for, you know, three years and. It took the pressure off because I, I was in a familiar place. I knew what the expectation was. I I knew I wasn't. I I didn't have to like carry you know the burden of playing in a bunch of ensembles. He's like, if you want to play ensemble, great. We can just have you in one ensemble, and we'll figure this whole thing out and and allow you to you know rebuild and recover. So that was kind of like the, the the first part of that equation. And I reached out to a number of trumpet players about um, different things, because um, I also think part of my injury was also because I, during that year, I had lost a lot of um, weight. And I think that um, affected my, my, my setup or my, my chops, because um, was, it was just a theory that I had. And I reached out to a few people and they was like, yeah, this is absolutely like a real thing. If you go through like a drastic weight loss, which I did, I probably lost like 30, 40 pounds in like four or five months. It's like that can really be an issue mm -hmm. as well. So it's like a combination of like overusage from playing and then the weight loss all working, you know, <laughs> together. And so they gave me some tips. So I spent, you know, my first semester and a half at, at back at FSU. Um, doing just a lot of simple exercises, of course, stuff like long tones, which we, we should all do anyway, 
um, a lot of long tones, a lot of just easy playing and, and, you know, spending, since I was only in one ensemble, I can spend several hours throughout the day, not large chunks, small chunks, like 20, 30 minute chunks throughout the day, doing a lot of just easy, healthy practicing. And, and Chris Moore allowed me to kind of go at a really slow pace. He wasn't asking for excerpts. He wasn't asking for A2s. He wasn't asking for solos in our weekly lessons. So he allowed me to kind of go at a super slow pace to help me rebuild in a healthy way. And I felt like by the end I got, by the end of that school year, I felt relatively strong again. I wasn't a hundred percent back yet, but I felt a lot more confident. I was like, okay, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel kind of situation. And then of course I spent that entire summer kind of continuing doing that thing and starting to kind of ramp it back up intensity um so by the time i got to my my second year of my doctor i felt like myself again um so it was about a year and some change before i felt like comf or confident enough um to actually like kind of put myself out there wow um, but it was wow. a, a it was a it was a process <laughs> it was a process and, and and even during that year i there were some times where I felt very frustrated. I was like, you know, I felt pressure, even though no one ever like applied the pressure to me, I felt pressure to like get better quicker. Cause I was like, you know, I feel like I'm wasting this opportunity more like gave me this opportunity. He took this chance knowing like, I'm going through this thing and I'm not getting better fast enough. And he, he never expressed that at all. You know, he was very patient with me and, uh, but that's just more of me like internalizing things that I was feeling and putting it out there um, onto somebody else, which was not the case at all. I don't mean to throw anyone under the bus at all, but but you were at New Mexico, University of New Mexico? Uh, no, no, I was at um, uh, at the uh, Cincinnati College Conservatory. And and this is this is not a dig at anyone, but is is do you think that? the Cincinnati Conservatory would not have been accommodating to your uh, to your situation? Or was it just you had to get out of there and get a new environment just to get a change of scenery? Because it was, it sounds to me like your mental health was just as important as your physical health at that point. Yeah, I think I just really, I'm, yeah, I'm sure they, they would have been more than accommodating. Um, you know, they have great teachers there, great resources there at the school. And, and there's, great trumpet players in Cincinnati, like the Cincinnati Symphony, for instance. Um, so there's there's tons of resources there, which is what I, I really liked about the city and the town. Um, but I think because of, you know, mentally, I just wanted a fresh start. Yeah. I, I felt like I got to a place where I couldn't get beyond it. So if I wanted to make this recovery, I just needed to kind of a clean slate in some regard. And, and I think that was kind of like the best decision that I made. Um, and it, it worked out. But yeah, I think it was just more, I just wanted a clean slate. And then once Chris Moore, my, my former teacher, who had been in contact for years after I graduate, he reached out and I was able to work out. I'm just like, this is like a sign. This is where I need to go. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So it's just a clean slate. It's kind of like going home to get your, get your life together, essentially. <laughs> so what, what, uh, role does the trumpet play in your life right now is it still your 
uh, I'm sure that that uh, your perspective changed through all of this this uh, unpleasantness that year and a half yeah. where you were recovering because it was probably like everything and your complete identity. What changed as far as that's concerned? Uh, so a, a lot, honestly, a lot. I, I, I know like trumpet is my job, as you know, like assistant professor at Valdosta State. Um, so trumpet is my job. And um, I think I had a, a unique experience after I, I finished my doctorate at Florida State. My first job wasn't a quote unquote trumpet job. I, I got this job. I was very fortunate to get this job at this small liberal arts college up in North Georgia, um, Young Harris College. And my, my title was uh, assistant director of bands. So I, I spent however many years, you know, really training myself to be the best trumpet player I can be. And then I'm, I'm fortunate enough to get this job, you know, because we're all desperate for jobs, you know, after we get out of school. So I was very fortunate to get this job to be uh, assistant director of bands. Um, so I trumpet was not really a true component of the job. I mean, I would teach here and there and work with some of the trumpet students um, if they asked for me to listen to stuff. Um, and I would freelance um, while I was there. Um, but that year, I felt so free to be away from trumpet. <laughs> it's, it's a weird thing. It's like because you spend so much of your life in it and then to be in a place where you can, you, you can, you know, make a living and Trump is not a part of it. You feel yes. this, this freedom away from it. And it's like, this is really nice. And I remember talking to my friends about this. Like I felt very free for this one year and it gave me this like different perspective and helped me kind of figure out who I am outside of trumpet. Right. You know? Um, and, and it, it helped me like find my love in teaching even though I always loved teaching, but it was a different type of teaching. Um, it's not, you know, specific to trumpet. Um, so that year kind of helped me figure out who I was, what I enjoy outside of trumpet, my interests, uh, and, and how I see myself away from the trumpet. So, you know, I was there for a year and then I got my, my job here at Valdosta after being at the Young Harris for a year. So when I got to Valdosta and then Trumpet was the job, it just gave me a different perspective. It's like, I see all these different possibilities. I can see different approaches to teaching and I don't put this enormous pressure on myself. I'm, I'm trying to continue to have this sense of like freedom um, in my playing, in my approach to practice. Whenever I'm playing in the orchestra, I still want to have that sense of freedom where I don't feel that pressure. Even though it's, it's, you know, you feel a little bit sometimes, especially my, my first concert with the Valdosta Symphony Orchestra. I, I can't lie, I was, I was a little nervous for my first concert. Um, but I still felt like this, this sense of like freedom. And I think if I didn't have that experience, if I, you know, got this job right out of doctoral school, it, it would have been very different. Um, but I feel like I'm more balance have a greater balance in my yeah. life everything doesn't surround around trumpet anymore um obviously like i practice all day not all day but i i practice throughout the day still you know i practice before this interview i'll practice after this interview so it's, it's still like what i do but i'm able to like put the horn down and forget about it until i'm ready to come back to it i'm sure that in in my experience after long layoffs 
because uh, my professional experience was in the military. And once I left the military and I didn't have to, I didn't have to play at six o'clock in the morning for a ceremony or something. Uh, I just enjoyed it more. And ne- six years later, I play better, even though I don't play as much. I enjoy it more and I play a heck of a lot better than I did when I, when it was all I did every day. I think that's what it was. It's like, you know, even though when I was at Young Harris, I was still practicing every day, but it was like I practiced things that I enjoy playing. It wasn't like I have to work on these excerpts. I have to work on these etudes. You know, it's like I can just work on whatever I want to work on at the pace that I want to work on it. And there's no like impending like deadline. Oh, I got to get this ready for this concert. I got to get this ready for this lesson. So I that freedom and that it brings that joy um back to the playing experience which then like you said it, it allows me to play better it allows me to play with more freedom um and i can you know think you know more broadly about what i'm doing or my approach to the horn or how i'm phrasing something you know i was conducting three ensembles when i was at young harris so it allowed me to think about the music differently when i was playing trumpet when you're in charge of however many people in your ensemble to get them from here to there when you go to the trumpet where it's just you, it's like, oh, I can think more intelligently uh, or more thoughtfully about what I'm doing with this phrase that I'm playing. Well, we only have a couple of minutes left in our time together, but I uh, just want to close out by asking now that the pandemic, for the most part, seems to be behind us, at least in the U.S., where I am in Vietnam. It's oh wow, full-blown lockdown, but uh, mm. we're not going to talk about that. But <laughs> now that uh, things are kind of opening up, you got anything cool happening in the in the trumpet world there yeah i have a a number of things uh about to start up um we're about to start school up in two weeks or so so we're all gearing up for that um but you know i'm playing principal in baldassa symphony so we have our season coming up uh shortly starting in september um, so I'll, I'll be playing throughout the season with that and in the Albany Symphony in Albany, Georgia, that that uh, concert series is going to be starting up also in September. So I'll be busy with that. And um, I'm also playing at a conference um, in, in Denton, Texas, the uh, NAFWACME, uh National Conference. And I'm playing a piece with uh, a former colleague who's a tuba player. Um, so we're doing a trumpet tuba and piano uh recital um so doing some cool stuff i'm uh we basically decided hey, we, we want to do something together let's just find some rep even if it doesn't fit us perfectly we'll figure it out so we're, we're doing a piece for trumpet euphonium that he's playing on tuba and then we're doing a piece by uh david gillum diversive elements um which is for euphonium in tuba and i'm playing the euphonium part with flugel horn uh, so I'm going to try to do my best to, to kind of emulate the euphonium there. So we're doing that. I'm doing that in October. And uh, a lot of different, I'm doing a, a recital with voice. One of my colleagues, we're doing a trumpet and um, voice recital. Um, a lot of different pieces from Scarlatti to Gershwin. Uh, so a very broad range of composers. Uh, so I'm really excited about that, just making a lot of music. And I'm just hoping everything stays open so all these things to happen. And then I think one thing I, I'm probably the most excited about is uh, a music festival that I've done before. 
uh, the Gateways Music Festival, which happens in uh, uh, Rochester, New York, um, at East at Eastman School. Um, and it's a music festival for um, African descent uh, classical musicians. Um, so it's a week long festival, and we'll be up there in April. Uh, April twenty. Well, the concert is April twentieth, but the festival starts on the eighteenth, the day after Easter. And we'll be there in Rochester for three or four days doing uh, chamber um, concerts. Uh, different panel discussions, and then we have the big orchestra concert at uh, the Kodak Theater, and then we're going down to New York City um, and doing very similar things, and then we're going to do the final concert at Carnegie Hall on April 24th at 3 o'clock. So I'm super excited about that, and it's, it's Gateway's uh, debut performance at Carnegie Hall, and is the first, as far as I've been told, is the first um, all-Black orchestra to ever perform in Carnegie Hall's history, 130 years history. Is, is, is so it I, the I'm big just, auditorium or the smaller auditorium? Uh, Stern is that the big one? Stern I auditorium. Know. I think it's because I heard one. that I heard that there's a smaller auditorium at Carnegie Hall. That's where a lot of the smaller concerts, like the chamber concerts. And so if people say that they've played Carnegie Hall, they've most likely played that smaller one, not necessarily the bigger one. But it sounds cool to say you did Carnegie Hall. Yeah, I'm I'm like I'm like ninety-five percent sure it's the big hall. I yeah, if it's, it's a full Stern. orchestra, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. It's a full, it's a full or big okay. orchestra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm assuming it's the big hall. Um and I, I did look at like the, the seating chart and I'm pretty sure that's the large hall. If that's the small hall, then I would love Can't to see imagine the what the big hall, hall is. Like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I'm pretty so I, I'm I think that's what I'm most excited about. Um because it's like a, a great opportunity for me, but it's like the being in the room of like this high level of musicians, I remember when I got the chance to play with them like two summers ago, and I was like, I would, I would be in rehearsal with like my mouth open, it's like holy crap, that guy <laughs> or that that woman sounds fantastic. <laughs> but so wow. yeah, that's kind of what I have coming up this 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 year. Or so well, that's a year to look forward to. All right, my name is James Newcomb, and you've been listening to the Trumpet Dynamics podcast, and we have been. Uh, enthralled by the infectious enthusiasm of Dr. JVN <laughs> Brabham of Valdosta State University in uh, southern Georgia, the next town next to Florida. So until next time, I hope we can do this again, uh, JVN. But uh, until then, wish you good night and good luck. Thanks for being on the show. Uh, thank you very much. You're still here. You must like this show or something. Well, I've got a special offer for you for hanging in there to the very end and proving yourself to be a true listener. I have a brand new and it is exclusive for devoted fans of the Trumpet Dynamics podcast. It is called The Secret Chamber of Don Clarino. It's brand new. I don't even know what's going to come of it. I'm honestly not even really involved in it, but I'm contractually obligated to tell you about it as an employee of the Trumpet Dynamics podcast. So if you want to learn more about it, here's the URL, trumpetdynamics.live forward slash DC, trumpetdynamics.live 
forward slash DC. There's a short registration process and you'll be in there. Okay. I don't know if I'm even allowed to be in there, honestly, but check it out. See if you like it. Later.